Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle Podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Jessica. Okay, I'm probably going to start crying, just so you know. This is, I cry at everything. I'm already sitting over there crying. I'm Jessica, a compulsive reader and food addict, and I'm really grateful to be here. Okay, so first of all, I'm going to cry, like I said. This is my first meeting back in person, and we're also, like, maybe not wearing masks or whatever, and so I think I'm emotional because of that. That's, like, a big deal to see people in person and get hugs. I mean, I missed that for two years. Okay, so there's that, and then, okay, whew. I drove far to get here, but I'm really grateful that I was able to do that. Um, I know I'm supposed to start with telling you a little bit about, you know, myself. So I've been in program 13 years since um, January 25th, 2009. Um, and I, I lost um, 60 pounds to start with my first abstinence, but my story includes relapse. Um and I gained back, and I'll tell you in more detail, but I gained back about 40 to 45 of those and then found my current sponsor. To thank you to Andrea. She asked me to speak today. And I'm back down. Um, I have to do math in my head. Sorry. <laughs> about 35 pounds of that. So I'm up 10 from where my lowest was in program. But, like, I know I'm healthy. I've been to the doctor. I have all my numbers, you know, like blood pressure and all those things. So I'm very healthy. So I'm steady. I did gain those those eight back during COVID and just haven't lost them again. So that's, you know, my story. And it's up to God, whatever happens with it. But, um, okay, so that's where I am right now. So let me go back and tell you about myself. Um, like she like you introduced me and saying how it was and what it's like now. Um, so I grew up in the Midwest in Michigan. And listen, I'm going to start crying. Like, I don't understand. But it doesn't matter. It's fine. So I brought a Kleenex. Um very, very, like, average, normal, middle-class life. Like, my parents didn't belong to any 12-step programs. They weren't alcoholic. They weren't abusers. They were just regular good people. I told you. <laughs> um, I'm adopted. And my parents had a son first, who's my brother, four and a half years before me, and they couldn't have any other kids in there, and they wanted another one, so they adopted me. So... In my story, in my life, I have met my birth mom and um, my birth father, and I can see where I get compulsive over eating from. It's definitely from those, you know, sides of the family. But in the family I grew up in, which is my mom and dad, there wasn't any of that. Um, and but growing up, since you know there was structure around food and structure with outdoors, getting outdoors and physical activity, I was not overweight. So looking at me, until I went to college, I looked very typical on the outside, very fit, very slim or whatever, just healthy body weight. But inside, I was looking for the desserts, I was looking for the sweets, I was hiding, you know, all these things. And um, and so obviously there was other stuff going on. So... Um, so good examples of that would be, you know, I'd ask my mom almost all the time, what's for dessert? What's for dessert? And she'd be like, you know, Jessica, we don't have dessert every night. It's 
like maybe once a week if she made something or we went out. Are we allowed to mention foods here? Okay. You know, maybe we'll go to Baskin Robbins or BNR as we called it, you know, once a week. Or maybe we'll go get Dunkin' once a month or something, you know, like as a special treat. But I was every day wanting that dessert. Um, and also we were expected just to be outside all the time. So we were playing street hockey and running around and, you know, just with everything, with all the kids on my block, we were outside all the time. So we were very, very active. And also I loved that stuff. So in middle school I was in track and then in high school I was in cross country and track and soccer. And so I was very, very fit and loved that. But then also that enabled me to eat more and not put on weight because I was very active. And once I started um, babysitting and having my own money, and of course we made an allowance, and if I biked or walked to school, I could stop at the neighborhood uh, Sam's Market, anybody? Like the local, you know, like liquor candy shop, if you will. Stop there every day after school or on the weekends. And I had a couple friends who were my buddy eating pails because one of my friends, her mom, was always constantly on a diet. So always had the carob chips in the house kind of a thing, never the real stuff. So we would meet up at Sam's Market, and Sam's Market had a park next door to it. So it was very easy to go in, buy the tube of something, the spray can of something, the cold something, and walk to the park and eat it. Or take it back to my house and hide behind the bed, because the way the bed was put in the room, I could kind of sit behind the bed and eat everything, right? And my parents didn't know, and I didn't gain weight again because I was so active, um, but definitely did that. And the disease being progressive like it is, for sure, in me, I see it. I didn't do that all the time. It wasn't a daily thing. It was, you know, like every week I would go to, you know, Sam's Market. After school, certainly I would stop at the, the Rite Aid and pick up a candy bar on the way home. But that was it. Like, that was, like, the one candy bar for the day. It wasn't then pick up ten. Like, maybe it would be now or something. Um, and, in, and as my life has gone on, and I'm going to be 50 next year, um, or actually this year, it's definitely, like, if I was to have that happen now, it's eat the whole thing and then buy another one. You know, it's not just the one candy bar now, right? It's progressive for sure. Um, okay, so then going back a little bit to, again, this kind of good, regular, middle-class life, except my brother and I had a okay relationship when I was really young. But when he, he, so he's 40 years older, so he went off to college and I was just starting high school. And he was not very nice to me even when he was at home, like during high school and I was in middle school. Um, but everyone, including my parents, just thought, oh, that's just a typical sibling rivalry. You know, he'd say mean things. He'd call me nasty words. Um, but we all just kind of let it go thinking it was just sibling rivalry. But he went off to college, and he had an extremely rough time. Very quickly, had to come home. He was diagnosed with manic depression, bipolar, rapid cycling bipolar, which, if anybody knows, is like really the worst kind. Very hard to treat, and just you know, every two weeks, high to low, high to low. And so he went through ECT treatments, like every, like so many things. But along with that, so I just started high school. And when he first left, it was like, oh, it's so nice. You know, I get to be with my parents, and there's nobody calling me names. And then he came home and lived at home for the next four years while he did end up attending college. But um, that was worse because now everyone's attention is on my brother, including my parents and my grandparents who were close to us. And it's funny because I think about this and I think, you know, as an adult myself and I have kids, I think, God, my parents did the best they could. Of course, they don't know what's going on. They're doing the best they can and they're trying to divide their attention. But at the same time, you know... If you have a kid who has major mental problems, wanting to commit suicide, like all these things, 
Of course, most of your attention is going to that child. And the child who's doing great and doesn't need your attention doesn't get as much, and that was me. But it was really hard. And so, okay, here's me. Chaos in the house, and what do I do? It's so interesting. This is such a vivid memory. So my first year, a freshman year in high school, I joined cross country. My favorite thing ever. Love, love, loved cross country. But to make the chaos that was external to me, right, feel like I could control something, this is what I did. It's so silly. But my mom would buy, like, a pack of new socks, running socks. And, um, and we would run in mud and rain and whatever. And I didn't want the socks to come out of the wash mismatched. Like if one, by God, had dirt or mud on it and one was still clean, they couldn't go together. So when I got those new pack of socks, I would pair them off and with a permanent marker at the toe, make dots, X's, minuses, question marks, whatever, so that when they came out of the wash, that dot went with the dot, the minus went with the minus, right? Like that's how I had to control something in my life because there was no control with my brother at home. And it's so funny, I was thinking about it the other day and I never understood it. I just thought, well, I'm a perfectionist. And then it hit me. That was me trying to control something. It was controlling my socks for crying out loud. So silly. But it worked at the time. You know, I had to control something, and I did. I had control over that. Um, So then there was a lot of really rough times in those four years, including my brother in the kitchen. I remember I was with one of my very best friends in the kitchen of our house. My parents weren't in the kitchen. My brother was. And I don't know what the conversation was or how it started. But he came up behind me and put his arm around my neck and started to strangle me. And, you know, there was some screaming. I don't know if it was me or my friend. And he did let go, and I ran out of the house. And, and my parents came, and, you know, they didn't kick him out or anything, but it was like, don't do that kind of a thing again. I mean, they didn't know what to do. But I don't remember if I was a junior or a senior, but it was pretty much that was like, well, I'm moving out as soon as I can, right? So I found the college I was going to go to, and it was literally 45 minutes from my parents' house. I could have lived at home, but there was no way in heck I was going to live at home. So I moved on to campus, and it was the best thing I ever did for my sanity. But now, unlike at home where food is controlled to some extent, right? I mean, I could sneak stuff, but it wasn't in the house. Now I have full open cafeteria. I have the declining balance. I could get the junk food at the you know snack bar, walk to the grocery store, and get whatever I wanted. And I did, and I gained the freshman 30, you know. They don't say 30, but that's what I gained. And um, that was just the beginning. And it's funny. I remember being on campus as a freshman, and someone on the floor, she said, oh, I have to have a piece of chocolate every day, like one of those, you know, one-inch little mini whatever. And I went, oh, that's interesting. You you have to eat chocolate. She called herself a chocoholic, and I didn't understand that because she only had to have one mini Hershey kiss thing every day and she and she and if she forgot hers or ran out she'd come to my room and I never understood that she's like but I know Jessica has something okay because I needed more than one and if I finished it I needed to replace it quickly um so I, apparently I was the one on the floor who had all that stuff which is funny because I don't remember that but I do remember a lot of other things um yeah and having food all the time and my roommate was like oh I'm having apple before I go to bed and I'm like I'm talking about an apple before you go to bed. Candy bar before I go to bed. Whatever. I did really well in school. It was really great to live away from my parents and my brother. So that was healing in a lot of ways. But again, my weight, you know, just went out of control. And there was no um, cross-country track or soccer or anything like that at the school I went to. There wasn't sports for girls at the time there. 
Um, so I so I kind of did some stuff on my own, but it didn't it didn't matter. I was gaining weight anyway. Huh. Didn't know anything about twelve step programs. Didn't know anything except like I said, I heard someone say I was a chocoholic, and I went, I think I am too, but I don't even know what that means. Like that's a made up word, right? Like whatever. But I could identify that that was something that I knew that was a problem for me. Um, went ahead, kept going on, went to graduate school, met a guy. I was living in Michigan. He was he moved out to California, so I followed him out here after I graduated. We got married in nineteen ninety eight. And, um, and through those years between undergrad and graduate, you know, I, my weight fluctuated, but it always was going up, but fluctuating. Like, I could lose weight, but then it would, you know, always, always come back on. And when I was just first dating him, I think it was 95, I think I weighed 170. And so I was 150 in freshman year in college, so again, I gained 20 pounds, and it was, like I said, that was another four or five years later, but still, it was always going up. And I remember being in his apartment, it was, it was up in the Bay Area, saying, oh, I'm never going to be above 170, like 170 is the max, right? You guys all have that, yeah? Oh, yeah, this is the highest I'm going to be, and you really mean it. It doesn't matter that you really mean it, um, you know, you just keep eating and you can't stop. Um, Things like, you know, the Girl Scouts were out at the grocery stores, and I would buy, you'd think, oh, a single box would be good, but no, I'd have to bring it home. My husband would have to know that I bought it, so I'd have to buy two, <laughs> so I could have one on the drive home, or have one sleeve and hide the other, and he would have the one in the house that I also could eat, because he'd have to know that I was still eating it, right? <laughs> Couldn't just not eat it, because that would be ridiculous. Um, but then have to hide the other box in the garbage outside so we wouldn't see that I had it. And such shameful, shameful things around food. Like, really, really horrible. Um, and then I would come home. I'd be the one, of course, to cook. And this is before we had kids. And I'd come home from work and cook dinner. But I'd be eating during the time I'm cooking. And then not hungry at all by the time he's there. But I knew I had to eat with him because who... He'd be like, why aren't you eating with me? And I'm not going to tell him I just ate a whole meal while I was cooking or I bought something on the way home or the girls got pizza, you know, or whatever. So, of course, I didn't have a whole other meal with him. And that made me feel always so sick. In the meantime, he, I will say one thing about my husband. He's never, ever said a word about my weight. He, I can't say he doesn't care. He doesn't seem to notice. It doesn't matter if I'm 140, which I've been, or 200, which I've been. He's, he and his family, both, have never said a word to me. It's always in my, it's my head. And, of course, my family, like I said, my brother would say stuff. And, you know, other people have said stuff, but never my husband or my husband's family to me, which is really amazing. Um, okay, so then I got pregnant and literally and had my first child, my daughter, in 2002. And I really, again, still didn't know anything about 12 steps, didn't know anything that I had problems at all, just knew that I couldn't stop eating once I started and um, and I thought getting pregnant was the, oh, I'm allowed to eat anything I want. You're eating for two. Isn't that what most people hear, which is so false, but literally her, you're eating for two. And I ate for two. I gained 60 to 65 pounds with her. I was well over 200 pounds, but that was okay because it was all baby. Well, I think eight pounds of it was baby and maybe another eight for the placenta or something, but no, it was all fat, actually. But, you know, I didn't know that. I really thought it was all baby. It was not good. Um, but I guess I enjoyed it because I ate anything I wanted. I didn't even think about dieting. I just literally ate anything I wanted. And, um, and after I had her, I'm like, oh, I'm going to lose weight. And you know what? <laughs> I fit in no clothes after I left the hospital because they had me on the Pitocin and the IV, IV drips. I literally came out weighing more than when I went in, which didn't make any sense. I was like, I should at least be able to fit into the sweatpants or whatever I had on when I went in, right? No, 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 because I was so swollen from all the other stuff. So that was a little depressing. Um, and so then I got on like, okay, I think I need to be dieting. I need to figure out what to do because I need to be healthier. I have this daughter at home. 
And I did. I lost some weight. I found this great. Have you ever heard of the book Carbohydrate Addicts Diet? So great. It's don't eat carbs, right? Well, they were addressing part of my problem because I was a cracker bread, snacky, that kind of anything flour kind of a girl. And it was actually it was a joke as a kid when we went out to, let's say, to um, a restaurant. My brother and my parents would kind of joke. I wasn't going to eat anything that had little black bits, but I would be eating the crackers or the oyster crackers or the whatever bready type substances on the table. I would eat that. And that is, for sure, it's still one of my mom's, the chocolate and the bread, for sure. Um, so I got this carbohydrate addicts diet, and I lost a lot of weight. It was very good. And it does. It talks about three meals. It actually does have a lot of things in common. But again, I didn't know anything about this program at all at the time. But it's interesting because it made me crazier. Because one thing that diet said was, you know, you can um, eat and have an hour to eat. As long as you start with your salad and your whatever meal first. If you finish for an hour, you're allowed to have your dessert. And so I remember my, my in-laws, they, my husband grew up in Massachusetts, so they lived in Massachusetts. We are out here in California. They came to visit us, and we were uh, out at a nice restaurant, and I was looking at that damn watch because they were eating slow. And I, if you can't tell I talk fast. I also do everything else fast, so I'm eating fast, and I'm done. And the Ghirardelli place is right there. And I'm looking at it through the window. And I said to them, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to, you know, go and I'll see you afterwards. And I went and got my, I left company, left company that was from out of state to go while they were still eating, rude, and get dessert because it was within my hour. But believe it or not, the diet still worked for a number of months and I lost quite a bit of weight. But slowly it stopped working because when you go and have that dessert every single time, right, it's, you know, it doesn't matter. And slowly then it was not the three meals. I was cheating. You know, just, you all know, if you've ever tried any kind of diet and self-will, it does not work. For me, it did not work. But again, didn't know anything about this program. Um, Okay, so then four years later, I was pregnant again. But this time around, I realized to be healthier, I couldn't gain 60 pounds. And for whatever reason, white-knuckling it or whatever, I was able to do a much better job with that pregnancy, just eating healthier and not gaining as much weight. But I hadn't started as low either, so I ultimately was still 200 pounds, but I'd only gained 40 instead of 60. Um, anyway, thought I was doing better, had my second had my second child with my son, and he was born in 2006 and was doing better. But again, just like everything else, slowly, 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 the weight started coming back on. By the time he was two, he was in speech therapy, and the speech therapist that came to our house, um, she's like, you know, I can't come next week. I have to be at a conference. And I was like, and I weighed 200 pounds at the time. And I said, what what conference? Like, she's being very, like, just a conference. You know, like one of those, she's kind of trying to sidestep where she's going to be. And I was like, what are you talking about? Where are you going to be? And finally, she's like, okay, I guess I'll tell you. I'm going to be at something called OA. And I'm like, what's this? And she told me. And I was so happy she told me. I had no idea something like this existed. But I will say, even though, so I grew up Jewish and identify strongly with being Jewish, but more about the heritage, more about family and and holidays, not God, not being in temple. I didn't have a bat mitzvah, like not that kind of part of the Jewish, just more the family part. Um, And when she said there's this, you know, part of, and and this lady was Jewish too, this speech therapist was Jewish, and she started by saying, you know, but the thing is, they have this thing, God, higher power, and and I was like, okay, I don't know what that is, but the rest of it sounds really good, let me see. And I looked it up and found a meeting, I said January 25th, it made a big impression on me, went to the meeting, it was up Mountain View in the Bay Area in a hospital, and went to that meeting, it was a Sunday morning women's meeting, and we all sat in a big circle, 
And as you, some of you might have seen when I came in, I'm not one to walk up and introduce myself. I sit in the back corner and I don't say anything. That's just me. So here I'm very nervous coming up here talking, right? So I sat in the back. Well, there's no back in a circle, but I sat kind of like not by the front door, like as far back in that, like over there, you know? And, um, and it's interesting because in, in a meeting I was at this morning, uh, we read something and it talked about, or I think it was there, and it talked about someone who ran out of the meeting and, um, and someone ran after them. Or maybe that was someone else I was talking to. I don't know. Somewhere I heard someone ran out of the meeting. And that was me. And then the meeting, I was like, I'm leaving. But luckily, somebody came up to me. I mean, I heard great things. I was crying the whole meeting because someone was touching me. Like, I heard my story from everybody who shared. It was fantastic. But still, I wasn't, like, about to go talk to anybody. I was going to leave. And um, I was trying to get to the door. And this person, so fabulous. Like, the, if you've ever met the person that's the best hugs ever, like, she's the one that came up to me. Oh, I'm going to start crying again. Oh, the best hug. She came up to me, and she's like, hi, who are you? And I said my name, and she said her name, and gave me this great hug. And said, do you have any questions? And I'm like, well, I love the meeting, but I don't understand what this HP is you guys talk about. And thank God I said that, because she was the best person to answer. You know, I think God puts people in your life who you need to hear from. She said, Jessica, higher power is anything that is more powerful than you. Two people, the group, what she said was, oh, it's raining, you guys. That's not what she said, but oh, my God, it's raining. How cool. She said, it's the ocean. It's the tide. It's Mother Nature. It's, you know, Father Time. You know, anything like that is more, do you have control over time? Can you change the weather, the rain? No, of course not. So I'm like, wow, that's so meaningful to me because I'm not like, a, oh, this God that's going to punish you from up above and strike you down or whatever. That just wasn't me. It didn't make sense to me. So when she said those things that made sense to me, I went, oh, I'm coming back to this meeting for sure. And it was the beginning of a beautiful thing. So that started out a two-year journey while we still lived up in, lived up in the Bay Area. And I found a sponsor pretty quickly. Up there, we had a, like a step sponsor and a food sponsor, which I, you know, I don't know. I didn't know things were done differently in other areas. Just thought that was how it was always done. So I had both, and she um, walked me through all twelve steps while I was there. I did it. It was fantastic. Very, very difficult. I had to, you know, there was a time while I was up there that I went fruit picking with my children at like a berry farm. And uh, not only stealing, like, of course you're going to eat the berries when you're there, that kind of stealing, which I think they charge you for anyway, so it's not a problem. But no, had to, like, carry some of the berries to my car, put them in the trunk, and then walk over and pay for the other ones that I felt they deserved my money for. (laughs) And thank God I did my 12 steps while I still lived up there because it would be a bigger deal to drive five hours north to pay those back. Um, But right before we moved, I drove back to that berry farm, and it was just a worker in the stand. She didn't know me. She wasn't the owner or whatever. But I'm like, I stole some berries. She's like, no, no, people eat them all the time, Phil. And I could have let it go, but no, I was told to be honest. So I said, no, uh, you know, six months or a year ago, whenever it was, I stole some berries. You know, I didn't pay for something that I owed you. And I have no idea how much it was, but I gave them what it would be for like a pound, which I'm sure it was not that much but it was like eight bucks or whatever. So I gave him money and she probably had no idea what to do with it, but it totally made me feel so much better. And thank God I did all that while I lived up there, made amends to all the people while I lived there that I needed to, moved here, and whoo, that was tough. So I lost all this pound. Remember, I lost 60 pounds while I was up there. Gave all my clothes away to one of the OA birthday parties. I was so excited because I, why would you not give all your clothes away? Because why would you ever gain that weight back? I didn't understand what relapse was for sure. I had it. I was good. I was not leaving the program. I was in it for good. But that was it, right? I was at 140, and that's where I was staying, and life was good. 
So my husband didn't understand that I was giving all my clothes away instead of like to a place like, you know, where you could get a tax write-off. I was giving it to away because I want, I felt they gave me my life back and I needed to give them something. So I did. And then we moved. And then my sponsor said, I can't have you anymore because I need to have someone in person. And that was difficult. So I moved down here. One thing I heard before I moved, which, thank God, someone said, you know, you can go to open AA meetings. So I'm not in AA. But when I moved down here, it, here to Santa Clarita, which is where I live, there was five meetings. And where I came from, there was 500 meetings, kind of like AA is everywhere. There's a meeting all the time, anywhere you can find it. And when I came, and there's only five, and they're not at times I can go because I'm a stay-at-home mom with kids who I, there's not baby's care at these meetings. So I got really panicky, and thank God someone had told me, go to open AA meetings. I was like, oh, thank God. There was those every hour of every single day, 24-7. So I could find a lot of those. And I went to a lot of open AA meetings. And um, those saved me in the very beginning. First couple of years I was in Santa Clarita, those were life, life-saving meetings. Um, but eventually there was other meetings that came up, and then my kids were in school, and I found OA meetings. And so pretty much just exclusively OA meetings. Now, I do attend actually still some AA online with Zoom. Um, but mostly OA meetings now. But um, what I was gonna, what was I gonna say about that? Oh, couldn't, didn't have a sponsor. So I didn't have a sponsor. Never left the rooms, you guys. I don't ever plan on leaving the rooms. This is where I'm supposed to be. 100% know that this is the 12 steps, the 12 traditions, the tools. Having a sponsor, all the fellowship, like, that is how my life has to run. I can't do it on my own. I had 30-plus years, you know, yeah, I'm 49, so 30-plus, however many that was, I can't subtract, uh, without a way, and obviously just kept gaining weight and very unhappy. My husband and I were ready to be divorced when I joined, when my son was two. Um, he was probably just as fed up as I was, and I thought it was all his fault. Mm-hmm. And had no idea I had any part in it. Um, I just blamed him for so many things. Came to the meetings, you know, supposed to look at ourselves, go through the steps, and in those two years, thank God again, I realized, oh, instead of pointing all my fingers at him, I was pointing all my fingers at myself. And even that's not really true, right? It's definitely a, it's a relationship between two people, and it's not all one person's fault. But I say that with kind of jokingly because I realized I was a huge contributor to all of our problems. And I'll tell you what, even though he does not have a food problem, an alcohol problem, or any kind of like that stuff, he's got a being a human problem. And yeah. like all, like we all do, I mean, it's normal. And I wish just in general there's a 12-step program just for living life and here on the planet Earth, but there isn't. But the point is, when I came to 12 Steps and worked my program, he got nicer. It's amazing how that worked. I don't understand it, and I don't need to understand it, but it is 100% true. Um, So we're okay. We've been married now. We'll be going on 24 years in a few months, so that's a miracle of the program. Anyway, again, so moved back, didn't have a sponsor, and slowly, even though I was still attending meetings and still had fellowship, and I tried very hard to find sponsors, and I went through about five or so because I would have one, and we would do a step or two, and then one person moved away, and then I didn't call another one back, and then we went on a trip, and I lost my absence, and then I'm too ashamed to call back. Like, for whatever reason, never had a steady sponsor after that and gained back the 45 of the 60 pounds. So it was 185. And here goes the crying again. Huh. My mom my mom was sick. She had cancer. And... Um, and we had just gone. Well, we were going to be going to Italy as a trip. Not Italy, sorry. <laughs> Belgium. 
Netherlands and as a family, my son, my daughter, my husband, and myself. And my dad and I had a conversation before we left. What if something happens? You, know, you wouldn't know while you're there. So there's nothing. I can't fly home if she passes away kind of thing. What do you want to know? And I said, well, always tell me. You're always going to tell me. I'm always going to want to know. And literally, we get to the airport to leave, and I get a text. We're going to the hospital. <sighs> Are you serious? But okay, we're already going. We're heading there. And I was frantic to try to find a, um, like a payphone or, a, you know, like use a calling card or so stupid because my daughter's like, well, FaceTime, mom. Like who, what's, what, what? You can do that? I have no idea. So we FaceTimed and it was fantastic because there's no phones to make, you know, payphone calls or whatever I was hoping there would be. Use FaceTime. Thank God. She was in the hospital and she ended up passing away in the hospital while I was gone. But I could see her. She blinked at me. I knew she heard me. But that was the end where I came home and realized, here I am eating junk. And, and supposedly, in a way, I go to the meetings, but I wasn't working any steps. The only tools I had was, like I said, like a meeting. I would talk to fellows, but like that's like the weakest you know, link. It, it's nothing if by itself, for me, when that's all I was doing, it wasn't enough. Um, so I came home from that. And that was um, 2018, and I started going, I need to find a sponsor. And thank God a couple women came to speak on a Saturday morning up in Santa Clarita, one of my kind of home meetings, if you will, up there. And one of the people speaking was Andrea, and there was another one, two different weeks. And I connected really emotionally to both women. But boy, again, if any of you know, if you've ever had to ask for someone to be a sponsor, it is very, maybe not for everybody, and I applaud you if it is not hard. For me, very difficult to ask for help. Very difficult to say, I need help, which is ridiculous. Here we all are. We all need help. We're all in the same boat, but of course, it's all about me, right? So I have a hard time with that and think it's only me, but I did it. I called both ladies. One I became very close friends with me, talk on the phone, and the other one became my sponsor. Thank God. So I've had, now it's three and a half years uh, of abstinence, and it is not perfect, but what I'll tell you, thank you, is, um, it's so interesting, so she had me doing stuff that I'd never done before, and I thought, oh, I've already done this, I've got a sponsor, I lost 65 pounds, I've done it all, nope, Andrea says, you have to write a 10th step every night, and I was like, well, I don't know what that is, so you can tell me what it is, and, and of course, I never said no, but you bet your bottom dollar on those stuff, I'm like, my mouth is wide open. I don't want to do this, but I never said no to her. I always did it, but I was banging my hands up for like a little kid. Like, I don't want to do this, but I did it. Every single thing she asked, I did. That 10th step every night, which is, for me, what it is, is writing out my food for the day, my food for what I'm going to have tomorrow, and I'll tell you, that's a whole other story. Never did that before with my food sponsor. I just told her what I ate during the day. Now, I have to let you know what I'm eating tomorrow. And that was also like a, are you effing kidding me? I have to know tomorrow what I'm eating today? But, again, I do it. Now, there are definitely times that she knows, I'll say, I'm eating out tomorrow night. I don't know because it's not only up to me. It's my husband, my son, my daughter, me, whoever. But I'm going to find something and I will let you know what I'm having or what I had. So there are days that are like that. So nothing's 100%. But I will tell you what I'm eating to the best of my ability and then be honest the next day and tell you what I had. Then it includes resentments that I had, my part in those things, which is so great because it's, there's always my part. There's never a time that it's only because someone else, so far, maybe there will be in my life, I don't know, so far I can always find my part in it, right? 
which is so, because of these steps, traditions, and tools, because of my higher power, I can see that it is a two-way street. I can't just, you know, say it's all your fault. So thank God for the 10th step that lets me see these things. But then also part of that 10th step, and there's a lot more of it that I'm not going to remember, but 10 things, well, it said on the paper, three or five things you're grateful for. And Andrea said, no, you have to tell me 10. And I went, (laughs) and I tell you what, I am counting every night. I put 10 things on there every single day. And it's not always my house, my husband, my son, my daughter, my dog. It's not the same 10 things. I think really hard. Now, of course, there's things that overlap every day because it's very hard to come up with 10 sometimes. But I think very hard what that what I was grateful for that day. And that keeps me in gratitude, keeps me in a happy place. The resentments don't last long that way. Uh, so very well-rounded in terms of program. I've gone through all the steps with Andrea again, 1 through 12. Then went and did some other reading and other books because I'd finished the 12 steps and eventually came back around to do the 12 steps again. So I'm going through them again in a different way, in a different workbook, in a different book. So now I'm on step four again with her. So this is my second and a half time going through it and um, always seeing something new, always learning something. The great part about, I know you guys are having elections, so I'll just say really quick. So not only did I start out doing service by coming to a meeting, Coming to a meeting is service because if someone doesn't show up and you're the only one, there is no meeting. So coming to a meeting is service. It doesn't matter if you sit in the room and leave by yourself. You were doing service because you were here. The next thing is do something in the meeting. Be a newcomer greeter. Go hug a newcomer like that person hugged me and made a huge impact. Make a phone call. Do service in another way. Eventually, be the person who gave out chips. Or be the person who introduces. Be a reader. Do anything because it's going to make you keep coming back. And when you give back, you get a lot. So then I did all that. I was secretary of meetings. I've been treasurer of meetings. Eventually, I was delegate, which just means you represent your meeting at the board, right? So I'm in Santa Clarita, so that's San Fernando. I know you guys here are L.A., which we do work closely together with you guys a lot for a lot of our um, big events. But um, So I went to delegate meetings for that, which during Zoom has been great. It's all on Zoom. I can do it from my own home, so it's great. I don't even have to drive anywhere. Um, that's been great. And I'll tell you what, recently, about a year ago, I was asked, since I was a delegate and now I've done that, can you be the representative for Region 2 for San Fernando? I'm like, sure, great. Guess where I'm going next weekend? I get to go to Burlingame for an assembly. We get to vote on things that are important for our region. So excited by this, you guys. And if it wasn't for you guys, that would have been my first in-person thing. So it's good. Maybe I won't cry as much next weekend because I cried all year. I'll be like, oh, I've done this. I'm good. Now I've been in person. So I'm very excited about next weekend. I get to be, you know, bring back the message from the whole region just for San Fernando Valley, which is great. And I get to meet all these other people from Hawaii to all parts of even Mexico is part of our region, which we have at our meetings, and all parts of California and I think Sierra Nevada is part of our region. So it's been really great to meet people. And I'll tell you what, when you do service and you're in those meetings, you're surrounding yourself with people who are very strongly in program. They're rooted in program. They're the old timers, if you will. They know what they're talking about. And if you're struggling, get in touch with those people because they know what they're talking about and ask them questions and just stay close to them. So... Um, I hope I said enough of what I'm doing now to, you know, but I do want to give a few minutes for questions if anybody has any. I'm sure I glossed over some areas or something. Maybe I didn't. And if you don't want to ask in person up here with, on the microphone at the end of the meeting, you're welcome to come up and talk to me, of course. But if anybody has any questions. <laughs> you do have a question? <laughs> um, what does, like, your prayer and 
does your connection with your higher power look like, like second time around? So higher power connection. So it's interesting because it's so interesting how different sponsors will do things. My first sponsor, even though we went through that 11th step and was talking about that conscious contact with a higher power, kind of glossed over that a little bit with my other sponsor, and I didn't really have that. This time around, I'll tell you what, Andrea's like, you're meditating for three minutes. And it was, you might, she's not like that, but I'm just saying, like, in my head, that's how it comes across. You're doing this. And it's, but one minute at a time, you know, start off with this. And so now when we have our baby meetings, we meditate in the beginning of those meetings. And that would have been very uncomfortable with me. I didn't understand what that was about. Who am I meditating to? But again, my higher sponsor, if I didn't, my higher sponsor, (laughs) whatever that means, my higher power has changed a lot. It probably was the ocean or the group in the beginning. And now it is something that I can call God. I don't often say the word God because it somehow still gives me like uncomfortable religious feelings, but I'll call it higher power or God now and, and be okay with it. And I do have meditation quiet time. As a really great example on the way here, I had planned that I was going to be 15 minutes early and I thought I'm leaving my house at 4.30, but I looked at 4 o'clock and it said an hour 15. I sprinted out the door without brushing my hair. Sorry guys, because I didn't want to be late. And then I was frazzled in the car. So I made an outreach call to a fellow from my car and said, I'm going to speak at a meeting. Help! She's going to be great. Take some downtime. Pray to your higher power. Ask for the words to come. And I said, thank you, goodbye, and I did. I prayed, please, God, just let the words come to me. And then I was jamming out to the music, didn't care that it was a car accident, and it was all good. So I have intense times with my higher power. I can't say it's every day. My program is not perfect. I can be honest and say I don't meditate every day, but I do talk to my higher power every day and pray, whatever that looks like for me. It could be in my car. It could be at home in bed. It could be on a meeting, but I do that every day. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. You talked about how when you got nicer or worked the steps, your husband yes. got nicer. Yes. Can you talk about that, please? So, so it's... Will you, will you repeat the Yes. Question? You asked, how, how did my husband get nicer when I got nicer? Because he's not in any 12-step program. And I think I can... Just, I don't know if it's just... See, see, in the beginning, we were very much butting heads. I didn't want to apologize if there was a fight, and he certainly wasn't going to apologize. So then we would just have a silent treatment for however long to each other. Now I know I can apologize because I see my part. That doesn't mean I still don't think he had a part in it, but I don't need to say, Kurt, you did blank, but I'm apologizing for this part. Now I just say, I'm sorry I did blank and clean my side of the street. And what it has taught him is, I think he sees I apologize freely without expectation of him doing something. And now, again, we've been married 24 years and I've only been in program 13, but now he'll come and apologize for things. The other day, he... He, he thank, thank you, Lord, for him doing all this. He does all the medical, you know, anytime there's, I don't know, all the medical, checking the money coming and going from medical appointments. Thank God. He does all the Excel spreadsheets for everything. And I've been having a lot of physical therapy because of my back problems this year, and he's doing all of it. But he got really upset and took it out on me. I'm not seeing the numbers. And I'm like, I'm not the billing person, Kurt. I'm so sorry. And I'm trying to understand and be very like, I'm sorry it's happening. But he was taking it out on me. And I prayed and then I because otherwise I would have just yelled back at him and I said Kurt I'm sorry I will ask them when I go next time to see if I can get an itemized you know whatever whatever you need but please don't yell at me and then I got quiet and didn't say a word and about an hour later he comes up to me and says I'm sorry for yelling at you crying he never would have come up and said I'm sorry because he was just mad and he had every right to be mad at the universe because the medical stuff never equals out right but to be mad at me was not the appropriate place, and I would have yelled at him, and that wouldn't have solved anything. It would have put him on the defense. But now I know 
I can see my side, which is, it's my doctor's appointment. I will ask them for the bill when I go next or, you know, whatever I need to do. And then I said, don't yell at me, which was also being able to stand up and say something. I never would have done that when we first were married. I never would have said, because he's always right, I'm always wrong. Like, that's just in my head what it was. And then he, I didn't say anything, and he came up and apologized to me for yelling. It was fantastic. He never would have, which is why we're still married. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> Woo.